JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. From the Indianapolis Star, he covers the Pacers. Dustin DePurek joins us. Dustin, I explained it this way. And I had you on, and I talked about this, and I talked about this a great deal. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a long-term plan and sticking to it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with if you have some flexibility to also try to expedite the winning in the now. And to me, their approach so far this offseason has been that. You leave yourself flexibility to try to get better and win now, but also remain true to what you set out to do about this time last year. Is that the path that I see? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they haven't traded, they haven't gotten rid of anything that, that knocks them backwards or, or or sort of swings for the fences and say, okay, we're, we're, we have to win now because we're getting rid right. of this asset that, that is going to matter more in the future. I mean, they've sort of maintained everybody, you know, not just Ben Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton and, and the younger guys that are going to be core pieces, but even uh, the lesser big names of the year, and Neesmiths and the Isaiah Jacksons, that you're sort of keeping this young crew, young crew together and saying we're not playing around with any of these people pieces, but we're just going to keep adding more, and it's okay to get guys that are maybe a little bit older, not a lot older, that we think can make this closer to being uh, at least a playoff team. I, I think there's, there's there's not a sense of desperation or of a belief that, man, you, you really have to get it done now or this is all going to fall apart, but there is, I think, a sense that, like, this group wants to win, and if it doesn't, look, there's, there's going to be some momentum lost, uh, that, that if this isn't a playoff team, that if you hold this team back again and, and make it sort of uh, go after after another lottery pick, then maybe you'll lose some momentum, some mojo, uh, and you might have an issue there. So it's just, I think it's sort of walking that line, striking that balance of um, operating with, with some sense of urgency, but not desperation uh, and, and going after things. And then, you know, they also had to use some cap space because they had to get over the salary, the new salary floor, um, you know, because there are some new penalties involved there with the new CBA. So they had to get up there and pay somebody. So that partially explains Bruce Brown, but I think they saw a couple of opportunities in Brown and Toppin that they could get better without throwing anything away that, that messed up their long-term plan. Yeah, I, I didn't want you to explain it uh, from what you have, because it was at the end of the show on Friday and the Bruce Brown thing did kind of take me for a bit of a loop. I was kind of wondering, you know, with that, that backup they have at guard, how that made any sense. And I, I guess you could say that about the entirety of the roster because it is absolutely packed mm. right now. But does that make more sense to you now? It does to me, but does that make more sense to you now than it did maybe when you first saw that on Friday? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even you started to see a trickle, like move around on Thursday is when you start to see Bruce's name, Bruce Brown's names mentioned with the Pacers. I mean, I think everybody already had a sense that Bruce Brown was going to get paid, um, whether he stayed with Denver or whether he went somewhere else, just because of what all he was able to do in the finals, how much versatility he showed, how much he mattered on both ends. He's just one of those classic guys that when when somebody wins a title as a, as a backup but does a lot of good things uh, in a playoff run, that, that player often gets paid. And I had a sense that was going to happen with Brown. But you didn't see really the Pacers connected to him until then. And I think what the, the, the sense that I can make of it, especially what ended up happening on Friday, was you looked at all these sort of power forwards they were connected to, like, you know, Jeremy Grant, Brown, or Jeremy Grant and Harrison Barnes, uh, Kyle Kuzma, you know, Rui Hachimura to some degree, you know, um, uh, Cameron Johnson were just, you know, some names where you started to see the Pacers kind of connected, but a, a number of teams that were in, had some interest in a power forward were looking that way. And almost all of them ended up re-signing uh, with their current teams. And I, I imagine by that point, just by calling 
going around, they probably got a sense of, oh, okay, well, you want to stay and you want to stay and you want to stay, so who are we going to spend this money on? <laughs> you know, they have this cap room, and, and it's sort of, it was sort of a use it or lose it situation that they were going to have to sort of uh, spend it anyway and not necessarily spend it on their priorities if you don't, if, if you still have that cap room uh, by the season opener. So it was sort of, okay, if you're going to get a free agent, you know, who makes sense if all these power forwards are gone? Yeah. Uh, and they just got sort of the most versatile guy. I mean, the guy that could play, you know, the most sort of different positions and not create too much of a clog. I think they can imagine, okay, well, you can use him at point. You could use him at shooting guard. You could use him at small forward. There's going to be opportunity somewhere for one of those positions, if not all of them, uh, at least for some time. He can serve you a purpose, and, and he makes you better defensively. Uh, so there is still a roster clog there, but I, I get the idea of saying, okay, well, if none of these guys that you targeted uh, are going to leave, uh, you, you should go find somebody, and in this case, it makes sense to find, you know, place of, you know, versatility is, is a really high sort of factor in deciding who that person's going to be. Hey, Dustin, do you think at all the Bruce Brown signing, was that a product of maybe swinging and missing on another deal or two that, that did not sure. come to fruition for them? I, I'm sure. I mean, I, I can't, you know, you, you saw them connected to the Jeremy Grants, and, and, and certainly it seemed like they were in really good shape with Harrison Barnes because uh, Barnes had been a te- teammate of Halliburton and Buddy Heald in Sacramento, and Barnes had played for Rick Carlisle in Dallas. I mean, those were some of his best, Barnes's best statistical years. They didn't make the playoffs that year, but I think Barnes was the leading scorer on those teams. So by all accounts, everybody liked Harrison Barnes. They would love to have him, and obviously he re-signed uh, even a day before, uh, you know, free agency technically opened. So that was already off the board. Um, and I think that you're already seeing the sense that, like, Grant, you know, Portland was going to go after Grant and re-sign him. So I think they must have called around and, and, and made offers and, and talked to all those agents and got a pretty good sense of what was going to happen. And when you start to see, okay, well, if he re-signs and he re-signs and he re-signs and he re-signs, and we're in some, some trouble here. And it's like at a certain point, it's like, okay, are you going to roll the dice with a restricted free agent situation where you're going to, you know, just send out offer sheets and you have until, you know, basically with the moratorium, and they were going to have until uh, – uh, Friday uh, to be able to to make a counter offer, not a counter offer, but to be able to match those offer sheets. So if you know you you could tie up a lot of salary space on guys that you might not get, uh, at least for the time being. And then if you don't get them, then again you have that money that you have to spend and you've lost out. So you know what do you do? I mean, I think I, I think it's pretty clear that they were interested in a lot of those guys that sort of more directly uh, fit their needs from a positional standpoint. And when all those didn't work out, they had to sign a reasonably high priced free agent. Obviously a big a, a big thing that helps as well is they were able to get him with a team option on the second year. Um, so, you know, you pay him a good bit this year, you were probably going to lose that money anyway, you know, but next year you've got a team option coming in. So when that Halliburton extension kicks in and you are lower on cap space, you don't have to, uh, you, you don't have to resign him for the second year. You can let him walk after a season. Um, and if you like him, you can keep him. If you, if you think he doesn't fit or if it's too much of an issue from a, from a cap standpoint, you can let him go. It's uh, Dustin DePurak of the Star covers the Pacers with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, obviously, I want you to get into the two second rounds they had to give up for Obi Toppin, and obviously his New York availability was there. But I'm curious, from a Pacers standpoint, how much of their interest in, in obviously not having to give up very much and just renting a dude and seeing what he can do is one thing. But my man put up mammoth numbers against them in those t- final two Pacers-Knicks matchups at the end of the year. you think that at all played a role in to why they hard-targeted him? I'm sure it did. Yeah, I mean, if you really look across the board at like what they're spending and, and what they believe is possible, I mean, you know, this is a guy that was National Player of the Year at Dayton, and you know, would have would have been probably a bigger signing shining star if that uh, you know NCAA tournament plays out. If Dayton would have had the opportunity to uh, really blossom, instead, obviously COVID happens and that season ends before you know right around the time of the beginning of the conference tournament. So you didn't really get to see Obi uh, shine even more than you already would. But I mean, I think you look at you know he's he's a really good athlete uh can really get up uh and you know has sort of the size that you're looking for at 6'9 220 there's more that you'd like to see from him from a defensive standpoint i mean the, the rebound numbers aren't what you'd like considering the guy's frame and athleticism you'd like to see some bigger numbers on that end but i mean i, I think you can imagine that they could be better uh you need a power forward you need a power forward with size um but it and it's and it's a big deal to have one that can really run and play uh up tempo the way that the Pacers want to play with Tyrese Halliburton i mean i, I know Halliburton was obviously Static. I think he said something about like uh, on Twitter, like F it, I'm just throwing up. Obi's going to be up there somewhere. Um, so he's got another 
player that he can throw lobs to. So they're happy about all that. But I think those those performances are reminders of this is what this guy can do with minutes. I mean, obviously the Knicks were sitting some of their top players to get ready for the playoffs, you know, including Randall in those games. So it's like, okay, you see if you let this guy extend the minutes, he can score the basketball. And the Knicks are, are never, you know, as long as they're committed to Randall, they're never going to have those minutes for him. So he's probably going to want out. He's going to be excited to have the opportunity. Uh, and you see that he can be a real scorer and, and a real transition threat uh, if he gets real minutes. So, you know, you, you run him out there, you get him for a year, uh, at least before you have to decide on his contract. You know, it allows you to ease in, you know, your rookie, Jareth Walker. And, you know, you, you have these two guys that you can play that have real size uh, at the four. So it's an easy decision, especially after you had to go in a kind of a different direction to get a free agent. Um, I think they, you know, they wanted power forward depth. I think that was a, a pretty clear, uh, you know, target for them, a pretty clear priority. And you get to fill that, again, after you've made this big free agent signing, you, you have to adjust to still find a way to, to fill that position. And in this case, you managed to do it without throwing anything away uh, that you can't afford to lose. Dustin, what do you think else may be coming as far as I mean, what they're trying to do, yeah. what they may think about doing moving forward here? Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm sure they're going to keep, you know, sort of maintain discussions. And, and I think they'll, they'll also probably look around and see what shakes loose. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of the NBA, as far as the movement is concerned, is a little bit frozen at the moment as everybody's waiting to see uh, who makes a move to get Harden and who makes a move to get Lillard uh, and sort of how that shakes up the process and sort of see what shakes loose there. Um, you know, I, I would be, I, I guess the fact that it's been several days now uh, suggests to me that they're probably – not going to be able to land uh, some of the bigger wings that they were interested in, some of the guys that they seemed like they had offers to, uh, or they were trying to get around the time of the draft, you know, the DeAndre Hunters, the OG, uh, OG Ananobis. Uh, I'm guessing that, that those moves probably won't happen at this point, but I'm sure that if, if they have the opportunity, they're still going to look into it. Um, so I, I wouldn't rule anything out uh, at all as far as them continuing to pursue that. Uh, you know, I think they still probably have to find a way to at least try to move Daniel Tice and see if you can get anything out of that. That. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. You know, just did that for uh, maybe future draft picks and, and try to find those, you know, see if they could open up a hole to bring George Hill back. I think they'd like to do that if they can. I don't know if they will. Um, I, again, I don't know if that's going to be possible. I don't know who would be interested in Tice. You know, if anyone's got the roster space to pick him up, I think he's still a useful, you know, backup center in the league. I think he could still serve the same purpose he has on previous teams, especially the Celtics, you know, uh, with their uh, NBA finals run and a couple playoffs runs that he was helpful with them. So I think that's, that's kind of a smaller piece move and I'm sure they're going to keep their eyes open I'm sure they're going to continue talking to teams but I think there is also a chance that this is it uh there there is I think a possibility that, that they feel pretty good obviously they're at 15 in terms of roster spots with guaranteed uh players with you know uh full-time contracts basically at this point so they don't have to move they don't have something they need to get uh and you know it is going to be a, a tight roster situation as far as uh, competition for playing time is concerned and there's going to be some good players that are probably going to see their minutes cut on the basis of what they've done so far um so it, it it wouldn't surprise me if they did make moves but it also wouldn't surprise me if they said okay that you know this is it we're going to call it a day is buddy healed cool with coming off the bench I'm sure he is. Uh, it certainly depends on how it operates. Uh, he's going to want his shots. He's going to want his opportunities. He's going to want to play. Um, and he's going to want a chance to, um, you know, just continue to be a part of something that matters. I'm sure he's not going to want to be just completely uh, passed to the side. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll also see. I, I imagine he'll probably say he's okay with it at the start. Will he still be okay with it, you know, come December or January when it's been a while or something like that? I mean, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I imagine Buddy's first answer would be, sure, I want to be a part of this. And it's just a question of does he get antsy over time and, and feel a little bit less cool? Oh, it's success, it's too. If he's making shots right. and they're winning games, then it's the greatest thing ever. If yeah, he's not, that's the worst yeah. thing and ever. It's yeah. drifting, exactly, 100%. And so I, I think, again, I think he likes this group. I think he certainly likes playing with Tyrese. He's, he's successful in that case. I mean, if, if it comes to a situation where he's not uh, getting a lot of time on the floor with Halliburton and you know he, his production level goes down and they're not winning as much as he wants to, then he might think it think of it much differently uh, several months into the season if it doesn't go the way that he would hope. I also say this. I, I think without his his volume three-point making, th- this offense is not as good as what we saw a Agreed. year ago. And I'm not yeah. – there's nobody on that team right now that, that makes up for the lack of that, if there is a lack of that. 
Sure. No, and, and also moving moving Duarte as well. Um, you know, not that Duarte had a great season. Certainly, he didn't shoot it particularly well, but the, the capacity is there to be a really good outside shooter. You know, you would think that if he gets healthy, uh, he's he's kind of the next guy down in terms of just raw outside shooting talent as a wing. Um, you know, Halliburton being a guy that can make threes on himself, although it obviously matters, but you need there to be another guy who takes you know the pressure off of him and takes bodies out of the middle of the floor and you know if, you know force somebody to sort of cling to somebody on the outside that allow it just keeps the middle of the floor open so he can you know, operate in there and Turner can operate in there and you can pick and roll and all that kind of thing. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it's, it is important for the time being. Somebody else has to raise up. I, I think somebody has to beat him out. I mean, that, that's another thing about, you know, I, I don't think uh, it's a guarantee that he's going to be moved out of the starting lineup. Somebody has to beat him. Matherin has to beat him. Uh, you know, if, if they're going to keep Nemhart on the floor as, as a two again, you know, he would have to beat him. I think whoever that or, or Bruce Brown, if he's going to start, he's, he's going to have to beat Buddy Heald. Um, so, you know, you have to keep him in mind as the incumbent and remember that, you know, again, last season, uh, he set a franchise record for three pointers. He was second in the entire NBA behind Clay Thompson. And so he's in that echelon. You have to view him in, in that echelon of, of best three point shooters in the entire league. Uh, you know, it's probably, you know, Steph and Clay are at a different level than everybody else, but, you know, Buddy Heald is right there. Uh, you know, maybe as your next guy as far as just best pure shooter in the NBA. And uh, it's not easy to unseat a guy like that and, and force him onto the bench. Hey, Dustin, how long do they know that uh, Ronald Norad was, was it? Ronald Norad wanting to move? Was it? How did that go down with Norad ending that's up in Atlanta? A, honestly, that's something I got to pick up on myself because I was out of town this weekend and I didn't I didn't catch that directly and get more of a sense of that. So I got to find out more of that uh, my own. So that that is my question. I'm not sure what what. Uh, you know, basically, what led Norad to want to go? If there's if there's a connection for him out in Atlanta, that that I'm not too, totally certain about. So I'm going to dig into that. I want to look well, at myself. Now I just I, I mean I just remember talking about whenever um, you know they had the the firing of Doc Rivers in Philly, and you know I was I was talking about. You know, I think you and I had this conversation about Dan Burke, and mm-hmm. I think Dan Burke would he end up in uh, in Detroit now, right? I believe with the Pistons, right. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, it'd be great. You know, he was you know good defensively here. Would they bring him back? And mm-hmm. then everybody would say, well, that's you know Ronald Norad's gig. And then three weeks later, Ronald Norad's gone. So right. that's my thought. Yeah, so I'm not totally certain what happened there, but I do. I know uh, Rick's a big fan of Jim Boylan, uh, for sure. I mean, it was a big deal. Boylan's been on as a, as a consultant last year, um, and you know, I, I did a piece on Norred and what it was like for him to be a coordinator, obviously, as a guy that has some cachet in Indy, uh, having done what he did in with the uh, uh, runs he was on with Butler. And, and one thing that sort of Rick said, hey, I, I think, you know, this is another angle of this story that you should check into is is Jim Boylan and the way the way in which he's been helpful uh, to um, uh, to Ron Norred and Boylan's obviously got all, all you know years and years of, of experience and, and championship experience uh, as a defensive coach. So I think that was sort of an easy slide in. Um, so on some level, like I'm not surprised that. Carlisle with, with with that guy around didn't go outside because uh, I knew Rick had a lot of exper- of uh, respect for him you know going forward so I'm not sure if that's if that led to that if that was something that Rick wanted to happen anyway and say hey Ron Ron you know look for someplace else to go because I want to make this move I'm not sure if that happened or not uh, but I know Carlisle was really excited to have him as part of the part of the organization in general so it doesn't surprise me that he didn't look outside with him already being in the in the uh, in the organization hey Dustin what do you think the playing time is going to look like in the Vegas summer for this group. I'm fascinated by it. I think, you know, obviously when you bring some established guys back like they have with Matherin and Nemhart and Jackson, I mean, they generally don't stick around for, they don't keep them in for more than one or two games. So I imagine those guys uh, will probably play game one, game two, uh, and then that'll probably be the extent of it just to, for them to get uh, you know their blood pumping and, and show what they've done a little bit and put on a little bit of a show and they'll move on. Um, so I'm guessing you're going to see those guys play a good healthy amount of minutes in game one and game two, um, not overdoing it, but you'll probably see again, you know, Nemhard, Matherin, uh, Jackson as starters, and probably Walker, and maybe Shepard, uh, you know, basically kind of rounding out that group. And then after that, uh, you know, you'll see, you know, see the rest of them. I think they're going to they're, see what they got in Mojave King, even though he's not going to be uh, playing with the Pacers this season. He's going to be playing internationally someplace. It's kind of a stash deal, but they, they are having him play in the summer league. We're going to see how that works. I imagine Isaiah Wong will get uh, some run kind of with the second team. Uh, and they'll probably get a look at some of these other guys that they've got some 
signed. Obviously, Oscar Sheetway is another guy that I think you'll have a, see get some second unit minutes. I'm very intrigued as to how his NBA career is going to go. Obviously, he's a guy with National Player of the Year at Kentucky. He was two-time All-American, rebounds it like a madman. And so, you know, does is, is there a spot in the NBA for a guy that, that at least has that skill that he's better at than pretty much anybody? Well, this team needs uh, somebody to rebound like a madman. I will say that. There's no doubt. I mean, yeah. anybody that can rebound. So. No, absolutely. And, and so it's just, okay, how does that fit? You know, is he going to have the lateral quickness on defense? Can you give him power forward minutes? Um, but, you know, he's going to be on a two-way, and obviously he'll have a lot of time with the Mad Ants to kind of uh, establish himself, and then you'll see just how the season shakes out in terms of what they have, what they're missing, you know, uh, who gets minor injuries, who has to t- you know, take some time off uh, with bumps and bruises or, or, you know, short-term injuries, and whether that grants him uh, an opportunity to get some minutes. Again, it's just – he just he has struck me as just so determined this entire process going back to him at the combine i remember just the way he's been making his case like hey i'm a guy who will do the dirty work for you and and i think you know i don't think teams i think he was even kind of saying like you guys don't realize you do need somebody like me uh and you haven't thought of it yet because you're thinking about all the high ceiling guys but you need somebody to go chase the ball down and i can be that guy i will go i think he said at one point he was like someone someone on this team can shoot threes you can shoot as many threes as you want i'll go get you the ball and give it right back to you that's fine by me um so it seems like he's ready to just do whatever you need him to do sex screens rebound um and you know just find a way to the nba that way and feel you know be one of those guys that uh sticks in the league by doing the dirty work and there are more guys in the league like that than i think a lot of people recognize we sort of look at all these big men now that are that are coming out that used to be top you know 10 top 15 pick type guys that are sticking in the league in college ball for four or five years and barely getting drafted if they do uh and i think we're sort of forgetting that there are still kind of dirty work jobs for them that can keep in the league for a long time and i think Sheway is one of those guys that can be one of those type of players you think isaiah jackson and and jalen smith are solidly a part of this roster going into 23 24 uh, 20, I, I do for this year at least. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, if something comes available, when if there's a, there's an offer um, to, you know, if somebody else needs a player like that, I'm, they're not going to say, well, we're definitely not never going to move one of those two guys. Uh, I do think they look at them both and see high potential um, and and like what's there. And I don't think I, I don't think they made a decision between the two of them because I think they, they they both have different skill sets and they have stuff that one is better at than the other. And I don't think they've separated, which is a bit of an issue. This um, made I think difficult for them i think you know smith is the better better shooter he's probably the more all-around good scorer he rebounds at a higher rate than uh not only jackson but also miles turner uh but obviously jackson is the guy that can get off the highest uh you know he's the guy that's finishing lobs and blocking shots and he's got just so much bounce to him and it's a hard guy to give up on so i, I think that's the thing in both cases first of all they really like them as people uh rick Carlisle was said over and over again especially when they were dealing with really the minutes crunch last year that they handled it just so professionally as guys that are only you know uh, i think isaiah's 21 and i think you know jalen's with 22 23 uh he was really impressed with just how they handled the fact that hey you're gonna have you're gonna go a couple games without playing now you know we're gonna get the other one in you know you're gonna play a couple games and he's gonna play a couple games and it's gonna go back and forth and when you're not in you just got to do the best you can stay ready just in case we need you but also just be prepared to go two or three games and, and keep your head together so they they really like them as as people as locker room guys they like their skill sets and i don't think they've decided which one they like better yet um so you know they're going to make the team it's just a question of you know does an offer come about uh does a trade scenario come about sometime in the rest of this offseason that that makes sense uh for them to move one of those guys and clear out that space and, and finally kind of commit to somebody as the backup five now do you get to go to vegas i do yeah i'll be out there for i think four days we'll start uh go out there um Friday morning uh, and stay until Tuesday. All right. So uh, give me a time comparison here in covering and writing compared to pool siding. <laughs> there will be a lot of covering and writing, I think. I, I, I did not. It's I okay. Not yeah, no, your bosses don't listen. Everything's thinking. good. Yeah. Just you can tell me. Yeah. You can tell me. <laughs> there will be there will be plenty of working. I promise you that. Okay. I just I, I, hey, pool siding I, I, sounds pretty cool. Next though. year. Yeah, next year I'm going to save so I can spend more time pool siding. But I think this year I'm going to be uh, I'm, I'm going to be pretty much in that gym <laughs> for the most part. I got you. All right, Dustin, I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. It's uh, Dustin DePurak of the Star. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore on the Motive Group Hotline. Let's get him on here right now. We'll hear him on Extra Innings. you hear him on the big one, 700 WLW. Uh, does sports talk, everything Reds and Bengals, and is living large right now in the summertime as our friend Lance McAllister on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. This is a hell of a summer, is it not? It really is. And JMB, the thing that makes it so so unbelievable is it's your classic out of left field. I mean, there's things that have yeah. built up to be great here. This is truly, in my lifetime, one of those, wait a minute, how is this happening right now? Because I, I think truth be told, this organization, if you ask them with some truth serum here, when do you think this window is really going to open and you can compete? I think they would have probably told you begrudgingly, well, don't tell the fans, but probably 2025. And it is happening right now. Since April the 24th, they're 40 and 24. That's the second best record in baseball. This isn't a one-week fluke. This isn't a road trip fluke. This is be, this is who they are right now. They're a damn good baseball team. It's Lance McAllister who is with us. I bring this up in terms of the Pacers, right? So the Pacers had a reboot last year, and they showed signs. For example, in December, got got everybody, including myself, excited. But I'm I'm okay with expediting the winning process as long as you're also not compromising the longer term plan. And that's what the Pacers are doing right now. I'm not trying to compare the two, but I just want to give you kind of this look of, is there a possibility, is there a way where you can still win, be better in the now without compromising the longer term plan for this baseball team, Lance? It's the uh, it's the sixty four thousand dollar question. It's the question that Nick Crawl is balancing in his mind. I'm sure right now there's the theory of man, you know, you don't pick the year you're going to contend. The baseball gods pick you, yep. and they pick the Reds to contend this year. It is a weaker division than usual, but that's no. You know, still, the Reds are playing good baseball outside of the division. Um, I don't think they're. I think they've worked really hard to get to this point, and they have used the word a thousand times: sustained success. I don't think they're going to do. That that air quotes around the go-for-it moment. They're certainly not going to trade top prospects for a rental player or one starting pitcher. I think they're going to ride this until hopefully Hunter Green and Nicoladolo come back early August, hopefully. Um, and maybe along the way, if they can add in a veteran starting pitcher that doesn't cost them a lot, if it comes from a second or third tier prospect, wouldn't be surprised to see him do that. But they are not going to jump and blow up a plan because so much of this is sustained success. And Nick Kroll took a lot of heat last year when he said, we want to eliminate the peaks and valleys. And, and people said, well, why would you want to eliminate the peaks? What yeah. he meant, though, was they, they just want consistent chance to win year in and year out and you don't do that as much as some fans say well trade for Scherzer trade for Verlander you don't do that and you've worked so hard they they reeled in 12 prospects last year at the trade deadline you don't do all of that so you can turn around and hand them off just to get a rental for this season if they if they win this division great I'll take my chances in the playoffs if they don't I it may be an attitude a lot of fans don't want to hear uh, but I'm, I'm sorry, their wheels are in motion for something that's going to give them a shot next year and the following year and the following year and the following year. Uh, you and I are old school. I don't want them to mark Langston this thing either. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's what we saw You know, Montreal do yeah. in the day for that rental. That was like a month. And, you know, they, they took a shot, but it didn't work out for them. I, I get where you're coming from there, too. It, it seems like sometimes this pitching staff is like MacGyvered together, too. Um, it's, <laughs> and, and the offense the offense can, can save the pitching staff here. And, again, these are things we don't know. I'm just going to ask you for your educated opinion here. Is that sustainable, the way that they have won that we have seen? I don't think it is because you're asking. They in back-to-back days they've asked their bullpen to get 12 outs. Now they've been able to get the 12 outs, but you just can't keep asking your bullpen uh, to do that. They have used 50 players this year uh, already. They have used uh, 21 different pitchers have a win 
this season. Eight different pitchers have a save. Um, it's just a musical chairs. It's a it, we call it, we joke. It's the Express to Louisville. They are they are doing what so many teams are doing in the quest to find young or, or fresh, healthy arms. They keep shuffling to AAA. You can only do that for so long. And I, I swear to you, JMV, the last five or six guy relievers they've called up from AAA, they've used them for an inning or two in a night. They've known they can't use them for the next two or three days. They either send them right back down or they DFA them. Yeah. Nobody claims them, and they they assign them right back to AAA. But you and I know everybody in baseball. There's like 300 pitchers on the disabled list right now. But you you just can't keep that going before you you have that crash and burn moment where you say, oh crap, a, a bullpen that is good when it's healthy is now just in in ruins right now. And it's not reached that point. It's come close a couple of times, but they're able to to refresh them enough where they they're able to get through games. And I think that's part of the mastery of David Bell, which he doesn't get nearly enough credit for around here. I talked to Spencer Steer on the show last week, and I said, it seems like in in Again, this is just my opinion that these guys are in a good place in really tough situations because most of them have never been at that level in those tough situations. So you don't know, you know, the the failure, uh, the feeling of failure right there. You don't know what it's like. You just kind of go headstrong into it, gas on, gas on, foot on the pedal, and go. And he he talked about, yeah, I mean, we just we we kind of don't know what we don't know here. We just kind of yeah. go for it, and so far it's worked out for us. Absolutely. It, it is such a young, energized team. And to think of a year ago, where it was a slow, plotting, hit home runs, go base to base. They put so much pressure on teams now with the youth and the athleticism. They just they, they already have 102, 101 stolen bases, which it, last year they had 58 the entire season. I know everybody in baseball is stealing more bases, but it's not just stealing bases. It's going first to third on a single to right. It's scoring from second on a hit. Yeah. It's making outfielders bobble the ball when they're running in to scoop it up. It's making pitchers throw pickoffs away. And it's all that youthful energy of we don't know what we don't know, and we're learning as we go, and we're bonding together. Well, they've got Joey Votto into this as well as the old man of the group at 39. I don't know if you saw the, the post-game video of him two nights ago, but he's got his shirt untucked after the game. He's got his hat on backwards, and he's joking, this is what the hip kids do now. And he says, I'm going to drink a fresca after the game, and I'm going to go play PlayStation till 7 a.m. with Ellie because that's what the hip kids do. And he just it's, it's part of what uh, of the quirkiness of Joey that's just fit in with a really young, energetic baseball team. These guys, and I asked Spencer this too, seemingly really get along. A lot of times you see that joy on the field and it doesn't translate to off it. It seems like that these guys have that double barrel action both on the field and off the field with how they get along with one another. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who have come up together. So they've ridden buses together. They've gone on long road trips together. Maybe they haven't won as much in the past down below because this system for a while was really bad when it came to, to winning teams and, and really uh, developing prospects. But they've got a group now that is so versatile. And David Bell, night to night, can mix and match. And it drives your old school fans crazy who want the same starting eight. That, that way left baseball years ago, as you know. It's mix and match. It's based on pitchers. It's based on matchups. He's got a guy like Jake Fraley who he can play against right-handers who hits 310. He sits him against left-handers because he's one for 28. He's got a guy like Nick Senzel who eats left-handers for breakfast. He plays against lefties, but he hits a buck 80 against righties, so he doesn't play him against righties. So it's the that grand idea of a manager's job is to put players in the best position to succeed. That's all well and good if you have those type of players. David does, and one night to the next, he just plugs him in. And if he doesn't use somebody early, he brings him off the bench late. Last two days, they've had catchers come off the bench. Tyler Stevenson had a pinch hit home run that was the winner two days ago. Luke Maley came off the bench and threw out the potential tying run stealing in the ninth. And it's that type of effort they're getting because guys, they don't get mad because they're not starting because they know the way this thing works. They're going to get an opportunity later in the game to, to produce, and they are. Hey, Lance, you think, um, are there any moves out there that would make sense to you at all or will they kind of just stay clear of this and be clean until both Lodolo and Green are eligible to come back? I, you know, for every fan who says, get this pitcher or what pitcher do you want? I say the better pitcher you want, the better prospect you're going to have to give up. And it's just, they're they're not going to do a rental for that. If they could find somebody, you know, Will Benson uh, was a a masterful trade by by Nick Crawl out of nowhere. Came from the Indians, Guardians, they gave up on him, didn't really have a spot for him. Uh, Reds traded for him uh, in early in the season in spring training. And they've gotten production out of a 25-year-old. 
I think if they could find your classic change of scenery, younger guy they could trade for, maybe another team and say, you know what, we don't have we're, we're out of options or we don't have a spot for him, and they could give up a, a second or third tier prospect and flip him for somebody else's prospect who hasn't come around, maybe maybe a veteran a veteran pitcher would be good, I guess, on a team like this if it didn't cost you a whole lot. But I, I'm telling you, uh, when you've got Noel Marte and Christian Encarnacion Strain and guys like that still in the pipeline, those are untouchable in my mind, and I think in the organization's mind, just because they've worked too hard to get to this point to, to give up something for a rental pitcher. Lance McAllister of Cincinnati is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline on 700 WLW Sports Talk, extra innings, I mean, all that. Reds and Bengal stuff over in the Queen City. Lance has you covered. So I asked this question before you came on. I was floating around in the pool yesterday, and I was drunk, but I, I did. I offered this up. I said, fact or drunk here? I said to everybody that would listen about this Reds team that to me it reminds me of the young Astros, Altuve, Correa, Bregman, when they were growing up together, and then ultimately what they tr- they transformed into. Is there anything that's reminiscent to you about this group of young Reds players to that group of young Astros players? Yes, because this group is having an immediate impact. I, that's the staggering thing. Everybody loved Ellie De La Cruz's profile and Matt McClain and Andrew Rabin, guys like that. Nobody thought they'd all come up and, and all exceed expectations right away. There haven't been there might have been a struggle of an 0 for 8 over two games, but that's been it. And, and I know 162 game season is somewhere none of these young guys have gone yet, and that's to be determined. But the impact they're having right now, the, the group of, uh, of rookies have the most hits, homers, and RBI eyes of any rookie group in Major League Baseball right now. And, and that group, you know, for all the, the attention the deadline trades got last year, and they traded for 12 prospects, Spencer Steer's the only one that's here right now. The rest of those guys were really young, and they're further down in this system. This group right now are homegrown. Ellie, Matt McClain, Andrew Abbott, and that's what reminds me of, if you trace the history of the Reds, the Big Red Machine, the 90 Reds, the 2010 run that started, those runs were led by homegrown players. The Big Red Machine was Rose, Bench, Perez, Concepcion, Griffey, Gullet. They added in other pieces, Morgan, Geronimo, and others. The 90 Reds, Larkin, Sabolo, Neil, Browning, Eric Davis, they added in other pieces around that. 2010 runs started with Votto and Bruce and Frazier and Cueto and Leak and guys like that. So it's, it's how, you know, in a market this size, if you're going to find success, you've got to scout, draft, develop, promote, and get production. And it's happening again with this team. It's remarkable. Yeah, I sit back and yeah, maybe this is like fool's gold, but I sit back, especially watching the way that the Braves played after that series against the Reds. I, I want to see that when it really counts again, don't you? No question. I mean, you're talking about a Braves team right now that is won whatever whatever it is. It's a ridiculous number, 27 yeah. of 28. Or I mean, and the one loss in there is the Reds. And that three-game series here was one of the best three-game series, maybe of this entire baseball season, and it turned this town upside down. Yeah, I want to see that again. Hey, buddy, well, hang in there over there. Again, he's a proud grad. 1984, which is a great class up at Carmel. Uh, Butler, go, 88. Go, go Greyhounds. Go Greyhounds, <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm excited for you because you've, you've had to talk so much crap over the years here. And now to be able to, to talk at this level about this baseball team has got to be pretty awesome for you, too. That's great. There were a lot of times last year in the 11 o'clock hour of extra innings, I was talking to myself. Now I'm ha- I'm signing off at midnight, and I have phone lines lit. I could talk till 3 in the morning. Yes, with yes you could. All right, we're going to stay in touch, too, if you don't mind, Lance. Absolutely. Let's do it again. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, back from the crappy state of Michigan, and joining us now from the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen joins us. Did you bring back any candy? There might have been a candy purchase. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you get yeah. a little wiggity 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 whack? That's probably the only positive in your mind on the state of Michigan, right? That is it, right there. And I'm just I'm all in for it because it's supposedly helping you not feel the pain. Know what I mean? I'm all for the pain yeah. aspect of it. 
So I'm not for the passing out and having pictures taken of me with things on my forehead. (laughs) Why do you hate Michigan again? What's that? Why do you hate Michigan again? Um, I just think that as a state, it's an armpit of a suck state, and I can't stand it. I just don't know. I don't. I mean, it's not all about Detroit either. I don't like Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Lansing. Boy, you hate it all. Flint. You hate the. I hate the upper, uh, the upper, upper peninsula. peninsula. All that crap can. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you I hate Michigan. The Colts. Um, the Colts' final pick, Jake Witt, was the Upper Peninsula Mr. Basketball back in the day. Pretty sweet right there. Like, how many dudes played? Like, three? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against it. Nothing against that accomplishment. But I, I, I would be willing to guess, like, 98% of the kids up there probably play ice hockey. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what the basketball competition looks like on the old Upper P. Yeah, I don't either. That's, that's funny. But, no, seriously, I would rather than Michigan, I'd rather go to Kentucky. Which I don't know if it says a lot oh. about Michigan or says a lot about me. Uh, I'd rather be in Kentucky. I mean, at least their roads oh, are good. Their, ro- their, their, their roads are good. Michigan's roads stink, just like our roads stink. And yeah, then, Michigan's so much nicer though, from just a aesthetic standpoint. What? And I mean, if you want to do the skiing, you can do the skiing. You want to play great golf, if you want to be on the water, you can do that. Well, I mean, what are you doing in Kentucky? Man, overnight in Dearborn sounds great. I can't wait. <laughs> You're trying to sell Michigan to me right here, Kev? Oh, God. I, I mean, I'm not, like, carrying the flag for it. I think it's a fine state. I think for the Midwest, <laughs> it's one of the few states that's got some versatility to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Versatility is God. I mean, what the hell are you doing? In, what, I mean, what are you doing in Kentucky? Drinking bourbon and watching horses and going to the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green? Um. Yeah, and then, you know, kind of, you know, getting – into Tennessee, in and out quick, getting in and out of Tennessee quick, and getting quicker, I guess, to the Gulf of Mexico, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess. I mean, I'm, listen, I'm not going to go to Kentucky and do a lot, but I'm not doing anything in Michigan. No plan. None. Now, you liked it, though, right? So tell me all about what you liked. Kev, are you there? All right, I'm going to put Kev on hold. It sounded like he faded away. I've never been a fan of Michigan. It has nothing to do with the Wolverines or Sparty or Dane Fife or anything. <laughs> well, the brawl. Or the 84 Tigers. Or Barry Sanders or Wayne Fonts. Yeah, none of it. Never really liked it. Let's see if we can get Kevin back on here. <laughs> hey, sometimes I can't help when stuff goes on. <laughs> I mean, bring it up. Uh, Kevin Bowen joins us now, rejoins us now. Are you still in Michigan right now? Is that what your phone line's doing to you up there? Are they on dial up? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say the upper the upper P. We're 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 a dial up nation up here. Um, so we were just south of Traverse City. Oh gosh! And I've heard great. Yeah, we were um, more of a remote location. It's a family reunion. Big big crew. We do it every two years. But my wife and some of her cousins went up to Traverse City. They did some winery stuff up there. Um, I think it's yeah. I think it's got a state that great golf, very underrated golf. Uh, great skiing, great outdoors. You can hit up the water. I mean, you got a multitude of water locations to go to. We stopped, stopped at the Grand Grand Rapids City Market, a little bit of a dicey area, if I'm going to be fully transparent there. I don't know if I would give that my highest endorsement, but yeah. I think my brother-in-law stopped at uh, Bell's Brewery on his way back. Um, that's near western Michigan. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's got a little bit more offered than, you know, like you said, all it's got is – you know, candy and however else you described it. That's about it. <laughs> about I can't it. believe you said Kentucky over Michigan. Yeah, I'd much rather because I can get it in and out. I mean, listen, listen, you drove. The length of the state is a big issue. Yes, it takes a while to travel. I mean, you, you drove, you drove really? eight hours, you're still in the same crappy state. I mean, in Kentucky, man, the, the moment you start thinking about how it really does suck and it's toothless and they all have outhouses and no indoor plumbing, you're already out of it. Yeah, but if you get stuck on 65, you are screwed. 
Oh, why would you go I mean, 65? Why aren't you going the penny rail, brother? Come on now. That's amateur hour. You're going 65. Come on. Well, if you're coming back from Nashville, how else are you getting home? Well, I get home in southwestern Indiana by the penny rail and the redneck well, Audubon. I mean Indianapolis. Well, listen, pretty yeah. pretty soon the penny rail in the redneck Audubon will be dealer's choice for Indianapolis whenever they figure out this crap fest they got going on here on the south side. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that since I came out of the womb. Well, listen, let me tell you this. There's been construction going over the bridge entering. Oh, by the way, you got to pay to go across the Ohio into Kentucky. I mean, there's been construction there since I came out of the womb. Well, I didn't encounter any toll roads going up to Michigan. So if you're if you're looking for a positive, there you go. I'm sure marijuana's paying for that. Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> they well, fix their, bottle. by, <laughs> they yeah, fix their bottles up there with marijuana. Yeah. Uh, I, judging by a couple things I witnessed, I would say that's pretty accurate. <laughs> it's, uh, Kevin Bowen with us. So I described what the Pacers did over the weekend. And, and Kev, you and I had had this conversation multiple times in the past. I want, I understand the long-term build and stay true to that. That's great. Uh, and I know we all got a little bit excited about the way they looked oftentimes, certainly in December of a year ago. But I kind of wanted a little, give me something now. And then go ahead and save the best for last. Save the best for later, all right? Don't compromise what you're trying to do, what you set out to do this time last year. I thought what they did so far had that in mind. That's kind of what I thought about is what I talked about here with, you know, trying to do something in the now, be more competitive in the now, but don't compromise the future. Is that not what we've seen so far? Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. You know, I – there were obviously some names that got thrown around that were intriguing and were, you know, bigger names and splashier headlines. But I, I don't think I was one of those that just looked at it and say, boy, you better put all chips in the middle of the table now or you're going to regret it. I, I don't think you're necessarily there. And honestly, it's more of a credit to what they have built so far. And I just want to see what Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin look like as a one-two punch now moving forward, and I think what you've done is you've improved on the defensive end of the floor. You've gotten more athletic, two areas of clear, clear weakness for this team, and now your two lead guys in Halliburton and Matherin can still try and grow and, and see if they are that one-two punch that you feel like can you can build with and, and obviously build around moving forward, and I guess what pieces you need to add moving forward, because they're still going to have tons of cap space next year. They're going to have two first-round picks. Like They are still going to be in a really good situation to maneuver if they choose to do whatever path they feel like is necessary to move further up in the East. So I thought both the moves made a lot of sense. I didn't really get the overpay for Bruce Brown. I think people need to realize there's a lot of context involved with that. Um, if you are going to overpay, and I say that in quotes because the Pacers had to pay, because they yeah. have to hit a salary cap floor, which yep. NBA teams have to hit. Uh, but if you're going to overpay, why not overpay for your two biggest weaknesses? And I'd say that is defense and winning. And Bruce Brown just won at a really high level in the playoffs and was a key contributor for them. And really nobody on this roster uh, has won at a close to a significant level in the postseason. So good at that. And Obi Toppin for you know a couple second rounders. I've used this analogy before. John of, you know, with the Colts, always kick tires on former first-round picks. And with the Pacers, uh, I'm all for kicking tires on former lottery picks and see what a change of scenery can do for that guy. I know that the NBA NFL analogy does not work out 100 times out of 100, but if you look at when the Colts have had success over the last, you know, half dozen years, I mean, Eric Ebron was very important signing in making the playoffs. Xavier Rhodes, a really important signing in making the playoffs in those years that you made it. And, you know, it, it's worked a little bit there. Neesmith, obviously Halliburton situation. The Jalen Smith has been a little bit more up and down. But anytime you are able to try and bring in a former lottery pick and, again, can give them a different role and maybe an expanded role when you're in a market that's as small as Indiana, I'm all for it. Now, and, and listen, you're going to have a motivated Obi Toppin, too. And you also have an Obi Toppin, which you saw up close and personal in the final two Pacer games, and he played against him, I think, put up nearly 70 points in those two games. So that, that and, you know, you, you just – you take a chance to see what happens. If it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. If it does work out, then maybe that is a piece of which, unfortunately for New York, I guess, was never unearthed there that could be here. But I, I get 
I do get what they're doing, and uh, I, I don't mind it. Not at all. Yeah, I think it's a great point you make about Toppin in a contract year. I mean, obviously, he's going to be super motivated. And, and you bring up what he did against Indiana late late last season. You know, oftentimes when you see these dudes explode late in a year and have, you know, big point totals, it's always kind of like, oh, man, what was the competition? You know, why is that the outlier? I mean, we, we saw the lineups the paces were thrown out there. But I think what's interesting to note with Toppin when he has started games, he's only started 15 games in his career. The stat is rather out, really stands out to me. He is a 44% three-point shooter when he starts. Again, it's 15 games, uh, but he shot a ton of threes. I want to say it's on average, I believe it's five threes per game, a little bit north of that. He's 44% from behind the arc. When he's not starting, he's a 30% three-point shooter. So now, the I mean, that is a huge difference. I mean, 14% three-point shooter is a massive difference. So now the question becomes why. You know, it, with the starters, is he playing with, you know, a better point guard that gets him the ball in more favorable situations? Does he get a little bit, you know, longer of a leash so he feels a little bit better? From a minute standpoint, more more confident, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if that's the case, I mean, the Pacers have a great all-star point guard, and you would think more minutes would be available here than they were with Julius Randle playing in front of them in New York. So that's what kind of, you know, when you think about Toppin, you think, okay, why hasn't he you know, done a little bit more? The shooting has certainly held him back. Well, if he can be a more consistent shooter like he is when he starts, there's an opportunity here in Indiana for him to uh, tap into that. So Kevin Bowen coming off a of vacation in the not-so-great state of Michigan via the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. Are the dispensaries, are they all over up there? Uh, I wouldn't say all over, but, I mean, certainly if you want to find one, you, you can. I mean, think about Michigan, too. Did the whole so Bowen family just get stoned at the reunion or what? What happened? Well, no, can't say that was that, that was part of it. No, no, can't say we were all. All right, s'mores and let's light up around the bonfire here. Uh, that was out on the agenda there with 93-year-old grandma lovers there. I was actually with my in-laws. We've got macaroni uh, and cheese, the- sugar cream pie, and here's some weed here from the Bowen family. <laughs> yeah, and that, uh, that that delivery of pizza will be here around 10 p.m. for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Bowen via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. You think the uh, Pacers are, are done? They are going to have to figure out this roster situation. So combine that with what we may or may not witness coming up here in, in Summer League. What, what do you think they still have to do here? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, you got a log jam at center still. You know, if you label Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith centers, you got four of them with Miles and then Daniel Tice as well. So you got to figure that out. Um, certainly on paper, you've got a ton of guards and wings. And if you're going to have a surplus of positions anywhere, guards and wings is where you'd want it. But, you know, even if or whenever this Chris Duarte move gets finalized, you still are kind of like, man, where's the playing time? And honestly, it's a good problem to have. Jake and I did the exercise earlier today of like, Okay, what's the starting group? What's the bench unit? I mean, figuring out playing time is not something that seems obvious or your ninth and tenth guys aren't like mad ant guys on on two year or I should say two way deals by any means. But I I guess to the question, if the Pacers want to do something, they are definitely in an opportunity to where they can do something. Yeah, they are I agree. I mean the, the, I mean they've got cap space still, they've got the two first round picks, they've got guys that I think it would be attractive to super win-now teams. And, you know, they, they have a variety of pieces that they can kind of play with here. So, uh, I think everybody in the NBA is on the Damian Lillard waiting, you know, pat, or, you know, waiting hold here. Of, all right, let's all get to Vegas for the summer league, figure out where Lillard's going, and then, you know, play off the dominoes from there. And if that's the case, again, I think the Pacers, like they have been in recent years, they're in a position to try and, maneuver if if need be and and kind of help out um so i don't think anything glaring is kind of screaming at me here of like something that must be done but again they are in a position that they if they want to get involved in something they most certainly could i kev i was going back and forth regarding tj mcconnell a little bit earlier um and um, we can have this you know, debate all the time. I, I feel much like my argument with Buddy Heald that he brings a three-point making volume ability that nobody else can repeat nor replicate. 
on this team. I mean, nobody right now, uh, which I think if you take him away, that's detrimental to the offense. And I think that if you take T.J. McConnell away, it's detrimental to the energy that he brings that nobody else on that roster can bring at that particular level. However, is that ultimately going to be too much of a luxury for this team to be able to to take care of, I think, moving forward? Well, I, I know it's not the question that you're asking, but I, I... – I guess I'll start here. I mean, I, by no means would I label T.J. McConnell as a guy like you. You can't move. I mean, at the end of the day, he's a second-team point guard on a 35-win team. So I, I'd be listening to any and all inquiries about T.J. McConnell. Having said that, you just described what he brings, and it is very noteworthy. And there are at least a handful of nights throughout the year that McConnell's energy single-handedly changes the game. And I – I think that is that is a luxury, and it's why he stayed in the league for as long as he has, and I think will continue to, you know, have a role in the NBA for the next couple of years. I think the question the Pacers have to ask themselves in regards to McConnell is, what is Andrew Nemhard's position of the future? If you think Nemhard is a point guard running the second unit, then at some point you need to let McConnell go and let Nemhard handle those duties. If you look at Nemhard and say, no, he's more off the ball and. He's a versatile guy and can hit an open shot when he plays alongside Tyrese and obviously brings a defensive presence. Then, you know, having a backup point guard like T.J. McConnell makes a lot of sense because I don't think, unless I'm missing somebody, I don't see like a clear third point guard on this roster that, you know, you've drafted like, I don't know, Aaron Holiday from a few years ago and you're kind of like, all right, where's Aaron Holiday going to get minutes behind Brogdon and behind whoever else was was the point guard on this team? So um, it's not a must have by any means but if you were to lose him yes you know your energy driver from a second unit standpoint, can't replace that juice kev you can't do it not even close yeah how would you create that because you know matherin's a guy that brings energy but he brings energy in a much different way and it's it's one thing when your energy driver is that point guard when he's picking up full court and he's you know getting in the you know uh, under the you know skin of some other guys and he's chirping with the opposing bench and he knows a lot of guys around the league. You always see him you know, talking to guys and smirking, and we all see the steal in the backcourt that he seemingly gets every game. So he would be a loss. I, I don't want to act like he wouldn't, but it's not some make-or-break situation to where um, I would be looking at him and say, oh, my gosh, you know, lottery-protected pick or nothing for T.J. McConnell. And a big part of that because I always felt like when Nemhard was drafted, and you would know this better than I, John, because you watch so much of Gonzaga – I just assumed he was your backup point guard of the future. And sure, there are times where, you know, maybe he, he could play off the ball with the starters, but I I think kind of him running that second unit moving forward, that would be the role for me because, you know, at some point, again, you know, where's Ben Shepard going to fit? Where's Aaron Neesmith going to fit? I mean, you have some of these other kind of second unit wing, J- Jordan Wara. I mean, right there, those three guys, is that your two, three, and four with the second unit? I mean, that means Bruce Brown, Benedict Mather, and Buddy Heald are all in the starting lineup. And, and that obviously creates a long jam. Where's Jairus Walker? Where, where's Obi Toppin? So it's great problems to have, as I kind of say all that off the top of my head. But to me, Nemhard bunching them in with the wings continues to crowd a position group, and I should say multiple positions, because, you know, wings, in my opinion, can be labeled as kind of two, three, and maybe even four. How you divvy up all that playing time? So, Kevin Bowen, morning show. Kevin Inquiry, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. on the fan. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I had Lance McAllister on talking about the Reds, and I asked this question at the outset of the show. I was talking about it at a, at a, in the pool yesterday, and I was drunk, um, but I asked the question <laughs> to the fans out there, um, is it me being drunk or was this fact? And I compared – this Reds team that we see right now, not so much the pitching staff because there's a difference, but the position players, uh, the hitters in the lineup, I compare them to what I witnessed and the juice you got from the early stages of that Astros rebuild with Altuve, Correa, Bregman, and Lance agreed with me. Do you? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I, I – I think that's really really accurate. And, you know, obviously just the energy from these guys, you know, up and down the lineup. I mean, it's wild to – I think it was a couple of weeks ago because I don't think it's been the – you know, certainly with Jonathan India, you know, typically batting in that three-hole. It's not an everyday thing. But I think at one point a few weeks ago, they had two, three, and four hitters as rookies. I mean, you just 
you, you just don't see that in Major League Baseball. You certainly don't see it in June, and you certainly don't see it by a team leading the NL Central. So it, it is just – it's rare, I think, in today's baseball world to want to watch a team because you know you're going to get something really entertaining. Like, whether it's a particular play, whether it's a comeback, and it usually involves offense, and that's obviously been the red strength, certainly pitching. Starting pitching would not qualify as that. But that's what they have created. They've created this kind of never-die, tons of comebacks. You never know. You know, certainly with De La Cruz, that's the spark of it all. And that might be a little bit different than what the Astros – the Astros, it seemed like – from Altuve to Springer to Bregman, and I, I know I'm forgetting somebody, but it, it seemed like all of them, you know, you just well, I mean, it was, it was Springer. It. That that first group had Springer playing center field, who's in Toronto now. He was another member of that that uh, was a big deal then. Yeah, and, and for this group, obviously there's other rookies, but Dale Cruz, of course, is the is the crown jewel of it all. Uh, but again, it's just rare to want to watch a Major League Baseball team to this level in June, and now we're into July, but purely from like an entertainment standpoint. I mean, they had the walk-off. Uh, Kev, they know, play the, faster than the, everybody else. Football. That's something they do that that rarely you see in baseball. We talk about it in, in football. We talk about it in basketball. They play fast. That is a fast-playing baseball team, and rarely do you see that. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. Did you catch Joey Votto on Dan Patrick a few weeks ago? Uh, I did not. So Votto was on there, and he made the analogy of, like, we used to be a post-up team. Like, I was I was the post-up big guy. And it was, you know, home run or strikeout. And, and that was it. And he's like, now we play with more small ball. We play with more speed. Yeah, they still have power, certainly, yeah. in that ballpark. You don't need much, but I think he made the analogy, if I'm not mistaken, to like the Warriors and the Kings of this past season, obviously Warriors dating back a little bit, to like, you know, we can play the the old school NL small ball, and if we put a ball in play, there's a ton of pressure on the opposing defense. And and again, that's not, I don't think, the words we always use with modern day baseball of like, there is a team that brings a speed element and a base path element to the game. But I do think the Reds really, really have that. And that's why you never feel like you're out of an inning or out of the game. And, you know, whatever they are, second, I think, or maybe even now first, and come back to the season and all those things. I, I thought that was a really good analogy from Vado. And, you know, I'm thinking back to the group text that Kristen Airy, you, myself, and Jake and Jeremiah Johnson were in a, a couple weeks ago. And J.J. was saying how his son Preston – wanted to invite some of his friends over to watch the Reds. I mean, we're talking about a yeah. Friday night game yeah. in June, and I, I don't know Preston's exact age. I think he's somewhere, you know, kind of the early teen. I mean, we're talking a junior high-age kid. Him and his buddies wanted to come over to watch the Reds. I mean, that is wild to me. And, again, it's it's a major credit to uh, the young talent that they have. And, you know, a little bit of luck has fallen into it but certainly something that they have tried to create as best as possible. It's been so long. It's almost like the first time that we saw nudity. Know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Remember that first time you saw nudity, Kev? You go, oh, okay. I'd like to see some more of that. That's kind of why I feel about this, Red. It's been so long since there's been anything like this, any level of excitement. And what it does, it engages you with the rest of Major League Baseball, not just the Reds. So it's beneficial to baseball in general. But certainly, it's like that time, the first time you saw nudity. What what year was that? Who was, what's the first time you saw nudity, Kev? You remember? Well, I, I, I do remember the year. I, I, I don't think I got 162 straight nights of it, though, once I, once I saw it. Um, <laughs> well, I, you're not I, living I until I, you do, brother, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I came across a Playboy of probably about – Three, uh, third, third grade, fourth grade. Something. Oh yeah, oh yeah. See, yeah. I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I grew up in a rural area, so we had, we had playboys underneath the hay bales in the barn in the loft. Sure, I mean, uh, after the pigs get fed, it's time for the oh, time, man. time for the farmer to get a little fixing in, right? Mm. You know, the greatest all time hidden that barn loft was Bo Derrick, the ten. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the good old days, right? That's kind of the that's the that's the uh, excitement factor I feel with this Reds team right now. It's kind of like that. So anyway, what you guys got going on tomorrow? 
That's a hell of an analogy Thank you. right there by you. I worked. Um, I wanted to work it in. I was going to work it in regardless, all right? So I, I just clearly wanted to work that analogy in. I forced it. What do you got tomorrow? Outstanding by you. Uh, I w- hope to tease, if you don't mind, we had Gennaro Pargo on today, Pacers yep. Summer League coach. I thought that was a fun fun interview with him. He was pretty candid. He's about- the guy that played at Gonzaga, right? He played at Gonzaga? Uh, that was or his no. brother. No, that Jared. was his brother. Yeah. Yeah, his brother Jeremy. He was an Arkansas Jeremy. guy. Jake, yeah. Jake uh, snuck in an Nolan Richardson question. So yeah. Uh, yeah, he played at Arkansas. And then, yeah, Jeremy Pargo. High flyer Jeremy Pargo from those Gonzaga days. But he was great. Uh, again, candid about the rookies, but also Benedict Matherin and Isaiah Jackson, who's on a summer league roster, as they get started on Saturday. So that's up on our podcast. Tomorrow, I believe we have – I think it's Katie – gosh, I need to double-check on her last name. I think it's Katie Wing – if I'm not mistaken, she is um, the De- – I guess you, you call her the Jeremiah Johnson of Denver. Nice. Uh, with the Nuggets. And so we'll get a little Bruce Brown chatter with her. Because, you know, I, I think for those that saw the clips from the parade at the Nuggets, Michael Malone's reaction, I mean, Bruce Brown's a pretty beloved dude uh, in leaving Denver. Obviously, finances contribute to why they were unable to bring him back. But that's a guy that they are going to miss, uh, you know, kind of a jack-of-all-trades for them. Let me tell you this. And Mike, Michael Malone was hammered. At that parade too, he was. I mean, he yeah. could. You he could have said, yeah, "You could have said, hey, we're going to bring back Bill Hanslick and Danny Shays. You got, we got to have him back.'" He had no idea. Bill Hanslick, by the way, a former Notre Dame Fighting Irish, I believe, forward, right? Bill Hanslick, Notre Dame. That's, yeah, that, that sounds right there. Come on, then, man, I'm creating ooh, stuff there. for you right here, and you got nothing. Well, it's it's a little bit past my time, and isn't uh, is Scott Hastings? Is that their color? Is oh, that yeah. their color yeah, yeah. There yeah. he is, Bill Hanslick right there, college basketball, Notre Dame, six foot seven guard. Played for the Nuggets. Nuggets eighty two yeah. through ninety. Bill Hanslick. Okay, so that was a little bit I thought he'd be a little bit more in the in the seventies at Notre Dame. Uh well I guy I guess he would have been there. I, I know I say this quite often, but I'm obsessed that Michael Shrewsbury's Notre Dame's basketball coach. I know you are. I know. Yeah. That's your sports mm-hmm. arousal yeah. right there. Does Shrewsbury know that like you have a sports arousal with his his head coaching ability in South Bend? I try to keep it politically correct when we add him on the show, but let's just say it's you know, reminiscent of the first time seeing nudity. <laughs> 7 a.m. It's Kevin Inquiry tomorrow morning here on The Fan. <laughs> Good to have you back, buddy. I'm glad you survived Michigan. Yeah, I should have brought you something back. Apologies on that. I just, uh, I do. I'm glad you took my advice and you took like three things of deodorant because I told you you'd need it. <laughs> Noted. Noted. <laughs> See you, buddy. Later. See you, John.